Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Catechism. At BRCC, we believe that our catechism is a useful tool to help us understand and grow in our faith. But why? Find out in our series, Catechism. We've actually been kind of going through the, the concept of what it means that Jesus is our Redeemer and our Mediator. To do this, I've actually been taking some questions out of our catechism. For those who are not familiar with the catechism, it's just simply a question and answer format of learning the Christian faith. The church has used these from its earliest days. Uh, we have one here in our congregation that uh, I wrote and the other elders gave input and worked on, and uh, it's based on other historic catechisms, Heidelberg and Westminster and things like that, but it's just a way of us learning about the most important elements of the faith. And we've been looking at... Uh, for five weeks now, the question of what it means for Jesus to be our Redeemer and Mediator. This was to give me a little bit of time. We'll be starting a series on 2 Timothy next week, uh, and we'll be doing 2 Timothy all the way until May. But uh, this week we will finish what we're doing. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 to 7. As always, it'll be up here on the screen, and it's in your booklet right there in front of you, but I encourage you to follow along in your Bible. We'll reference uh, a number of verses. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. Hear now the words of your Creator and your Redeemer. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. Uh, recently, we just went through Groundhog Day, and from what I understand, unfortunately, Puxatawney Phil came back with the wrong weather forecast, I am hoping, uh, because he predicted that there would be winter continuing on, and it reminded me, as it does every year, of the movie Groundhog Day. Most of us have probably seen that where Bill Murray goes down, he's covering the whole thing with Puxatawney Phil, and for some reason, he's stuck in a loop, and every day he wakes up and it's Groundhog Day again. And Bill Murray is not the best human being, let's say, in this movie. And the advantage he has as he goes through it again and again and again is he can finally get better to where he can actually act in a way that he should have acted in the first place as he faced this. He gets better uh, at doing all kinds of things. I mean, we learn in the movie he becomes an incredible pianist. And, because if you've got unlimited time and you keep going through things, you can eventually get better at them. Now, I bring this up because as we're going to be concluding this thing of looking at Jesus as the one redeemer and mediator, there's a sense in which we're living in a groundhog day. And why I say that is the way our culture exists today and how it views many of these questions of who is God, what would God be like, what is sin, how would one uh, be redeemed out of sin, we are in a Groundhog Day because our culture is very, very, very much like the culture 
when the Apostle Paul wrote these words in 1 Timothy chapter 2. In fact, if you go back, I would say out of the last 17, 1800 years, never has our culture been more like the culture in which the early church was birthed and grew than it is today. We are facing many of the same struggles. In fact, it was interesting, C.S. Lewis referenced this. He, he foresaw this coming some 70 or 80 years ago and actually said, in some ways it actually gives me hope because we know that the Christian faith has already defeated these exact forces. We've already lived through this and we know the faith has the resources to answer this challenge. He was concerned how the church was not answering the challenge of modernity very well, but in fact, what he saw coming and what we live in, we've been through before. It's like Groundhog Day. And hopefully, the church is going to respond well and maybe even learn and respond in some ways better than the early church did. But I'd be glad if we just responded as well as the early church did. So let's dive in and look at these questions that would be a great challenge for our culture. And the first thing for us to understand is we're kind of summarizing what we've looked at over the past four weeks is we have a need. And that need for every human being is a redeemer and a mediator. This is not an option. It's not a nice to have. It is a necessity. And the reason it is a necessity for us is because of our sin. Now, before we actually look at um, the, uh, the text for today, I wanna, I'll just bring up one in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah is writing and he says this, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now this is an astounding statement because Isaiah is speaking to a people who have been taught over and over again that we were created to know, love, glorify, and enjoy God forever. We were created, as it were, the priest blessed the people by saying, may the Lord turn his face towards you. And when God turns his face to you, it is peace. But here the prophet is saying, you need to understand your sins cause God, rather than turning his face toward you, to turn his face away from you. For God to hide his face from you. Now hear what the prophet is saying. He is not saying that because of our sin we hide from God. We in fact do hide from God because of our sin. We see that right in the garden. The very first thing that Adam and Eve do is attempt to hide from God and human beings have been doing that down through the millennia. That is true but that's not the focus of Isaiah and it's actually not our deepest problems. The ultimate issue is not that sin makes you and me want to hide from God. The ultimate issue is that sin turns God's face of blessing away from us. Because the teaching of Scripture, which we've been going over these last weeks, is that God uh, is a perfectly holy God. And therefore, by his own nature, he must and he will always punish sin. 
Our culture does not like this message. Let's be clear. Our culture wants to say, no, God's, not. God's just love. I, I just heard there was a big article in The Economist of London the other day, and that article was about the fact that God is becoming progressive, was what they were saying. That was my response, too, other than banging my head on the wall. God's not becoming anything. God is. And he is not, what they were getting at is, God's learning that he can't really judge sin. No, he's not learning any such thing. God is perfectly holy, and he will judge sin. It is his nature. So in a sense, Isaiah would say, it's actually a blessing that God turns his face from you in your sin. Because if he did look upon you in your sin, it would bring judgment. It would bring wrath. They would be immediately judged, punished, and destroyed. And so because of this, we need a redeemer and a mediator to stand between us and God. This is where we come in our text where the Apostle Paul is writing, and he says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man. Now, what he had said actually in the previous verse, and we'll come back to it in a little bit, but in the previous verse, Paul had said, I want you to be praying for people everywhere because, because God's on mission. He's wanting people to be saved. Well, how are we going to be saved? That's what Paul's bringing up here. He says, well, we can be saved because there is one God and there is a redeemer between God and man, a redeemer and a mediator, who is the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. So notice here, Paul assumes we need a mediator. Now, this was not accepted in their culture any more than it's accepted in ours. Paul states that there is one God. How was that received in their culture? I mean, they, they had more gods than there were cities. You could go into cities, and you remember when he goes to Athens, Paul's like, you people got more altars and gods here, and you've even got one to the unknown God, in case we missed the God that's out there with all of our gods. Paul here is cutting across the culture and saying there aren't many gods, there's one God. And there's not many mediators, there is one mediator. And that mediator is here and he is needed because he must give himself as a ransom for all all men. All people need a ransom. Now, Paul's not just coming up with this. He's saying the entire Old Testament sacrificial system points to the requirement for sin to be atoned for by a sacrifice that is given by a priest. There has to be atonement, there has to be redemption, and there has to be a mediator. As an Old Testament Israelite, I couldn't just offer the sheep on my own. I had to go to a priest who was a mediator who would then make sacrifice so that my sins could be covered over. And so our sin, Paul says, requires a ransom to be paid so that we might be released from our debt and reunited towards God, so that God's face, instead of being turned away from us, could be toward, turned towards us. Instead of us crying out for judgment in our sin, God gives blessing to us because of the work of the Redeemer and the Mediator. So that's our need. Now, the answer that Paul gives to us regarding this is Christ, the only Redeemer and Mediator. Now, in our catechism question, we had been looking at in the previous questions 
you know, what is required to be a redeemer and a mediator. He had to be truly human. He had to be truly God. He had to be perfectly righteous. All of these things that we've looked at and, and discussed in depth. Notice here we finally say, well, who is the redeemer and mediator, the perfectly righteous God-man? And the answer is the only redeemer and mediator between God and humanity is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to highlight here for a moment is Jesus is not a mediator. The answer is not Jesus is a mediator between God and humanity. He is the only mediator between God and humanity. And when I go out and say that in our culture today, everybody says, that's a great answer, right? I mean, how bigoted, how closed-minded, how narrow. You can't say this. But again, Groundhog Day. We've been through this before. See, the Romans said, no, 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 no. If you want to say that this whole Jesus thing, that's fine. We'll just add them in. We've got thousands of gods. We've got pantheons. All the gods. It's perfectly fine. Just add them into the pantheon. And Paul says, uh, no. No, there's one God. Those are actually demons, not gods. And there's one mediator, which is Jesus Christ, and all that stuff you're doing out there actually makes God angry. Not a popular answer. Groundhog Day, we're right back in the same day. We're going through the exact same thing. It was no more popular in Paul's day. But I want you to see, this is not just a minor point. When Paul says this here, this is taught throughout the New Testament. So notice in our text, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Paul's saying there's only one way to God. But Paul's not alone. The Apostle Peter, in preaching in the New Testament, this was actually the, this is the verse that our first song today uh, is based on, that song we sing, there is no other name by which men can be saved. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's very, there's only one. There is one way to God. Now, this is not just something Paul and Peter said. Jesus himself actually said this. On the night he's betrayed in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Notice not I am a way, a truth, like today, right? We, you've got your truth, I've got mine. Jesus says, no, there's one truth. It's me. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one can come to the Father except through me. So there are not many mediators, only Jesus. There are not many saviors, only Jesus. There are not many ways back into relationship with God. There is only Jesus. Now again, We've been belaboring this and going over it because you and I are going to leave here today and the message we're going to hear and be discipled in over and over and over again is, look, if you've got your whole, if Christianity is your truth and you've got your truth and I've got mine. And 
if you want to believe in God, you can believe in God and just add him in. Everybody's got their God. Everybody's got their thing. And you just have to admit that your way is your way and there are other ways that are right. All religions basically teach the same thing. And our answer has to be no. Not true. Not one syllable in any of that is true. All false. Now that's just the reality of what the scripture says. And the reason for this, and this is why we've been going over this, we have to remember, this is not about being bigoted and narrow-minded. This exclusivity is based on the requirements for the mediator and redeemer. The reason Jesus is the only one is what's required to be the redeemer and mediator. So notice again in our text, There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. So notice right from the beginning, it's not exclusive because there really only is one God. All other gods are imagined. They're not actually there. We're talking about reality, what actually exists in the cosmos. And what actually exists is there is one God. And notice in verse 6, the the mediator has to give himself as a ransom for all men. The mediator has to pay a ransom for human sin. And as we've seen in recent weeks, we need to understand this. It's required because of God's character. Any hope that, well, it'll just kind of come out in the wash. No, it's not. There must be payment for sin. And it's required because of human nature and our call. We are the image bearers of God. God himself is perfect in holiness, love, and integrity. We were created to be perfect in holiness, love, and integrity. We were created to know and love and serve God, to be oriented towards God, to be focused on God. And in sin, we turn away from that. And when we do that, it is a degradation and there is a requirement that humanity to come back into God's uh, relationship, back into relationship with God, we need a human being to fulfill our call. And this requires, because of this, we have to have somebody who is truly human and truly God, and he has to be truly God because the debt that is owed is infinite. We, we want to lower this. And again, I could do Groundhog Day. This is not uh, new today that people react against that. Well, I don't, I don't understand why it's such a big deal. Earlier in the series, I mentioned a medieval theologian named Anselm. And Anselm asked, why the God-man? Why all of this stuff that we've been studying? This was a thousand years ago. And Anselm was having to deal with people who said, I don't think sin's that big a deal. And Jesus, I mean, and Anselm has to answer to them and say, you haven't considered how great your sin is, and you're forgetting who you've sinned against. You're forgetting this isn't even the local Lord over here. This is the God of the universe. And when we have sinned against that God, it incurs an uh, infinite debt. And because our sin is infinite and our debt is infinite, we need an infinite ransom. And so the biblical logic is, hey, if you got somebody else to put forward and do mediation, have at it. But the answer is they can't. 
they can't begin to meet the requirement. They can never actually accomplish it. No one else can accomplish this. Now, other religions offer different ways of salvation, but please hear this. They do that because they have different gods. And I'm using little g gods. The, the way of redemption in Islam is very different than the way of redemption in Christianity because the God Allah and the Holy Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are not the same. They are very, very different in their nature, in their character. And so sin is conceived of in completely different terms, and therefore salvation is conceived of in completely different terms. And so the idea that all religions are basically the same, my response to that is, obviously, you've never studied any of them. And it's actually incredibly disrespectful. My next-door neighbor uh, is a man named Muhammad. I try to engage in conversation with Muhammad all the time. We get along very well. As you can tell by his name, you might be able to guess, Muhammad is a Muslim, okay? I respect him and his belief enough to not say we, we believe the same thing. We don't believe the same thing. We have the same God. We don't have the same God. He's a very nice guy. I trust him. He trusts me. We you know, chat with each other every chance we get. We do all that. But I'm not going to disrespect him and his faith by pouring out some drivel that says it's all the same. It's not all the same at all. Allah and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ are not the same. They're not remotely similar. And we need to recognize that and understand that because what happens is on every key question, they differ. What it means to be human, what sin is, how we're redeemed, what salvation looks like, who God is, where we've come from, and where we're going to, they're different on all of them because they begin from very different places. And so we have to think through very, very carefully. This is why we've taken five weeks to do this. What the Bible teaches about God about humanity, about sin, because those things determine what's required for salvation. Sometimes Christians haven't thought deeply through these things, and we want to say Jesus is the only way, and then when we're asked why, we stumble over our words. Well, when we understand who God is, who humanity is, what sin is, therefore we understand the requirements for redemption Jesus is the only one that meets those requirements. Now, before I move on to applying the word, let me step aside and say something for us as believers as well, because this isn't something that just applies when I'm an unbeliever and then I come to Jesus Christ uh, by faith alone. This has implications for you and me and how we live our life every day. Notice in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one God and how many mediators? One. How many mediators are there between you, O Christian, and God? One. Am I or any of the other elders here a mediator between you and God? No. Now, in the history of the church, see what the church did, and you can actually see this. 
when we were in Italy going into some of the great cathedrals, which I just loved, but you started looking at the icons of Jesus over time, and he got angrier and angrier looking over time. And pretty soon the church said, we need mediators between us and the mediator. That's what they said. We need a mediator between us. And so we came up with the saints. We came up with uh, Mary, uh, the mother of God, as a mediator. But we need to understand this. Now, please hear me. I have immense respect for Mary. She is godly. She is holy. She's the one that God chose to bear his son. Okay? So this is not an anti-Mary statement. It's a pro-Jesus statement. There is one mediator. The saints and Mary are not between you and God. But please hear me on this because most of us in here are Protestants. Protestants are just as guilty of this. I can't say the number of times I've been told, would you pray for this because I know God hears your prayers. Yeah, because I'm kind of a mediator between you and God, right? Does Jesus hear my prayers any more than anyone else in this room? Why are the prayers of the sinful person standing up here before you heard by God? Because Jesus perfects my awful prayers. But please hear and understand this. Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, said one time this great astounding statement, the best prayer I have ever uttered has enough sin in it to condemn all of humanity to hell forever. The best prayer I've ever prayed. And Bunyan's holier than I am. Okay? Don't give in to a thought that someone somehow is between you and Jesus. That, that's not what elders are here for. That's a reason why, I mean, those of you who know me know I prefer just to be called Brett. I don't even go by pastor. And I'm absolutely not a priest because a priest is a mediator between the people and God. Who is our priest? Jesus Christ. This is not about me arguing. Look, if I come around somebody that's in a, a particular expression of Christianity and the guy's called a priest, I'll, I'll call him by his title. I'll do all that. I'm not interested in trying to argue and fight with this. But what I am very interested in for you and I to understand is you're not looking for a mediator between you and God. This is not Israel saying, hey, Moses, you go talk to God for us and then tell us. That is not, especially in the glory of the new covenant. Jesus is your only mediator. The Holy Spirit is given to you. And we are told in the new covenant that the Spirit comes in us and all of us are prophets, priests, and kings in Christ Jesus. Every one of us are. Please hear this. Do not let the devil. He will be perfectly happy for you to say, yeah, Jesus is the only redeemer and mediator, but kind of the church leadership is a mediator between me and God. He'll be glad if you want to do that because it'll keep you from walking with God on your own. Brothers and sisters, you are called to walk with Jesus. It's my privilege to be a shepherd. It's my privilege to, I go before God daily praying for the people in this congregation. Many of you are knowing you're, 
you're getting texts this year because this is a new year. I'm texting out and saying, hey, how can I be praying with you this year? It's a privilege for me to do that. But it has nothing to do with, well, because if I'm praying for you, you got a shot at getting this. No, no. I'm glad to pray for you. I'm glad to be a shepherd. I'm glad to care. But you know what my job as a shepherd is, and you know what I'm praying for you regularly? To point you to Jesus. He's who you need. You don't need me. I can no more fulfill the requirements of being a redeemer and a mediator than you can. Perfect? Not by a long shot. And my wife says, <laughs> she shakes her head, but you know it's true. <laughs> Anybody who's around me, there is so much sin there is no place, this, this is not what we're looking for. So please hear me. When I say there's one redeemer and mediator, and sometimes Christians don't start saying, well, those bad other parts of the church. I want to tell you, I see it as much among Protestants as anybody. We set up redeemers and mediators between us and God. Because you know why? Then they can walk with God for me. And I'll let that set for a while. Don't do that. Now, how do I apply the word? First question for us, and kind of again going back to Groundhog Day, is do I know that Jesus is the only redeemer and mediator? See, this was uncontroversial a couple hundred years ago, really. For the most part, you could stand up and say it, and people were like, okay, yeah. I mean, if they, if they had any understanding of Christianity, it was, it was uh, not really thought about in our culture. But now the average American finds this highly offensive. There's, there's little else you could say that gets more offensive to them than saying Jesus is the only redeemer and mediator. And in fact, the system of teaching in the scripture on morality and on sin is now considered bigoted. Okay, there are regularly where clips of even pastors preaching and somebody cuts it out and shares the clip on social media and then it's flagged and shut down. That does not meet our standards. And all the person's doing is talking about the scripture. Actually in Finland right now, they're trying a person who was in the government and a church leader who wrote a tract regarding human sexuality. A long time ago they'd done it, but they're now on trial. Okay, I don't bring that up to try and scare us. I just want us to be honest and say, when we go out in the culture, be aware of this. It's not going to be reinforcing this idea. So we are going to have to recognize the church has been through this before. It was no more popular when Paul wrote it than it is right now. And the church survived. But the church survived by continuing to stand firm with the truth. We will not survive. We will not move forward with the kingdom by compromising the truth. I don't love my neighbor, Muhammad, if I say, ah, it's all the same thing. No, no, it's not the same thing. There's only one mediator. It is Jesus Christ. So do I know deep in my bones Jesus is the only redeemer and mediator. Is that sunk deep down inside me? We've taken time 
to go over this point by point so we can not only understand what the Scripture says, but why it's saying it. And we have to be willing to listen and understand. When somebody starts out with a wrong conception of God, we have to say, we got to stop right there because we've already launched off in the wrong direction. We, we took a left turn at Albuquerque there, and we got to stop and come back. Okay? Are we thinking in this way? Brothers and sisters, hear me. Do not let the culture brainwash you through its constant drumbeat of there is no truth, there is no such thing as holiness, a false view of what love is, a denial of sin, and a denial of Jesus is the only way. And I'm using that term brainwash because that is what they are telling us a hundred different ways every day. You're going to see it on sitcoms on TV. You're going to hear it when you click on the radio. You're going to see it on the newscast. You're going to get it in your social media feed. Every way you go, that's what they're going to be saying. Get in the Word of God and let it wire your brain to resist what our culture is saying. Not because we just want to be contrary to the culture, but because what the culture is saying is wrong. The emperor has no clothes. He's buck naked. And they're all running around saying, aren't those beautiful clothes? We have to say, uh, no. He's buck naked and he needs to get clothed. So that's the first question. Second question, am I living in light of Jesus as the only mediator? So first off, of course, this means have I personally responded to the gospel? Every person here, you need a mediator for your sin. And the mediation is not provided just because my parents believe or my grandparents believe. It is not provided by being a member of a church. It's not provided by being a member of this congregation. It is provided through faith and faith alone. Do not assume it's all just going to work out in the end. It's not how this works. Have you looked to Christ in faith? Have you consciously cried out to him for salvation? If you have not, I urge you, please do so. If you want to talk, I will gladly grab me after the meeting and we will chat about it. And please hear me, you could have been in this church virtually every Sunday of your life and not have done that. It's true. You could be trying to outwardly do religious things and have no relationship with God whatsoever. Christianity is not primarily about my outward conduct. It is an inward orientation of the heart towards God and his covenant promises and provisions. Have I responded to that? Secondly, for those who have responded, the question is, and this comes from the context of our text, am I engaged in the mission to spread this good news to others? And there's two primary ways we do this. First, am I praying for others to come to Christ? Now, I'm not just saying that because, well, it's a random point we could make. Notice this is the verses that lead into Paul's point about one uh, God and one mediator between God and man. I urge then... First of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. 
for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So notice what Paul's talking about here is he's actually talking about prayer. He's telling Timothy, he's, and he's actually kind of going into how the church conducts itself, how the church lives. He's going to talk about things like appointing elders and deacons and all this kind of stuff. But Paul here begins by saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be people of prayer. And I want you praying. Pray for the king. Pray for the slave. Pray for everyone in between. Pray that we might live in a place where the gospel can prosper because God is on mission. God wants people to be saved. And so the question that comes to you and me out of this is, am I praying consistently and fervently for the gospel to spread to the lost? I put two uh, I don't know whether they're adjectives or adverbs. Can't figure it out off the top of my head real quick. Am I praying consistently and fervently? Yeah, I think it's an adverb. Yeah. Um, we will edit that before we put it out on the internet. No. Um, am I praying consistently and fervently? Day after day after day after day, but not just yawning prayer. I'm saying the same thing I said before. Am I praying like the people I am praying for, their very eternal soul depends upon this? Because it does. Am I crying out for them to know God? When we gather and we pray for missions here each week, I urge you, not a time to dig around in your purse or your wallet, not a time to check the scores or see what's going on in social media. Are we praying for people to know the gospel? Last month, were we praying every day for those women whose lives have been shattered in the sex slave trade, that God would mercifully reach out and save them and restore their broken soul. Are we going to be praying for the prisoners this month? Are you praying for your neighbor and your family member? Are we crying out for them to know God? And, and I want you to notice here, Paul's saying we're, we're, we're going to pray that we have peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That sounds like America in 2022, right? But I want to ask you a question. When I'm praying for my country and my culture, is my biggest concern, my number one concern, that the gospel would prosper? Because see, that's what Paul's concern is. Or is my biggest concern politics, economics, personal comfort? Now, I want to remind us, where is Paul when he's writing this, these words? He's in jail. It's not about personal comfort. Am I ready and willing to embrace and pray and say, you know what? If things went away in the country that I didn't like and it made life more difficult for me, but the gospel prospered. It seemed like America was going down the tubes, but there was a third great awakening. Would I say hallelujah, glory to God, or would I say, but what about my stuff? 
seriously. Don't, don't, and, and I'm not saying, you crazy people, this is a question I have to ask myself. I like my comforts. I like it when things go the way I want them to go. But Paul's concern here is there's one God and there's one mediator. And are you crying out that that gospel prospers everywhere in this nation? Is that first or does it come down the line? So are we praying in this way? And then the second area, and we will come to the Lord's table, is am I sharing the gospel with others. Again, not just randomly, this is taken out of the passage this morning. Notice in verse 7, for this purpose, what's the purpose? Because there's one God, and because there's one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. See, this is why Paul was a herald to tell others about the only Redeemer and Mediator. And notice he says, look, I'm not lying. I'm not making this up. I'm taking a holy vow. This is true. And I have to do it to the Gentiles. Because see, when I went to the Jews, they believed there was only one God. When I go to the Gentiles, they're like, you're out of your mind. There's thousands of gods. No, I'm a, I'm a herald. I'm an apostle. I'm here to tell you, no, that's not the truth. There is a God. There is a day of judgment coming. There is a redeemer. There is a mediator. And you need to hear and respond to this gospel. That's what Paul is telling us he does. Uh, he's speaking to them. And we have the same call today. We're not apostles in the restricted sense that he was, although the word apostle really just meant sent one. How many of us are sent out to share the gospel? All believers, all of us, every saying, you are blessed, go forth and be a blessing. And what's the greatest blessing? the gospel. We bear the gospel to others. So, Groundhog Day. We're awake. It's the culture just like Paul's living in. They don't want to hear that there's one God. They don't want to hear that there's one mediator. They don't want to hear this gospel. But Paul told it faithfully. The church told it faithfully. This ragtag group that nobody would have put money on surviving. Even as I've been studying 2 Timothy, I mean, it's kind of dark in 2 Timothy 4. Paul's like, everybody's abandoned me. There's nobody left, Timothy. I need you to get some of the parchments and scrolls and get here because everybody left. Nobody would step up at that moment and say, I'm putting the family fortune down on this church is going to make it. It didn't look good. But Rome's gone. But the church of God is still here. So this is good news. When your alarm goes off tomorrow and you wake up and it's Groundhog Day and it's like, this is like the first century. We already know how the story turns out. We need to be faithful. Pray and proclaim. Open our mouths to share the gospel. And I want to encourage you, there are many people out there that are more open than we think that they are. Just like there were in the first century. It didn't seem like people were going to be open to this message, but everywhere they were responding. And the same thing is going to happen today. There's actually a lot of polls 
Whereas they just ask people, how open would you be to go to a church gathering if a friend invited you? A surprising number of Americans who don't go to church are like, yeah, if I had a friend to actually invite me, I would go. Are we open? Are we sharing? Are we talking with them? And that means am I willing to be put down or laughed at or called a bigot so that I can keep sharing the gospel with others? Some will not respond, but many will. Our call is to pray and to proclaim. Now what we're going to do is we're going to conclude by coming to the Lord's table and we're going to be praying and celebrating that Jesus is our Redeemer and our Mediator and that everyone who trusts in Him can come. So I'm going to read here out of Hebrews chapter 7. This is a passage we had actually looked at uh, earlier in the series. But hear now God's Word regarding who Jesus is for us. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. All who confess their sins, their need of a Redeemer and a Mediator, and their belief that Christ Jesus is that Redeemer and Mediator are welcome to this table. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, you created us by your hand, making us in your image, and breathing into us the breath of life. And when we turned from you, you promised to redeem us. And you have fulfilled this promise when you sent Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who took our flesh so that he might stand in our place and work salvation for us. We receive him now by faith, professing our faith in his work as our Redeemer. Take and eat. Lord Jesus, you are our great high priest. You did not offer the blood of bulls and goats, but rather you offered yourself 
the sinless, spotless, holy, blameless, pure Lamb of God. By your sacrifice, you have atoned for our sin and given us access to the throne of grace. We give you thanks for your blood, and we come boldly to this table to receive grace and strength in our hour of need. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Let's stand together. And I encourage you to join in as I cry out for the Holy Spirit of God to come upon us fresh and work in us this week. Holy Spirit, you moved upon the watery chaos, forming and fashioning it to make it ordered and fruitful so that it might fulfill the will of God. So now come upon us for we are new creations in Jesus Christ. Form and fashion us, renewing in us the image of our Creator, so that we might be ordered and fruitful, fulfilling the will of God in our daily lives. Spirit of God, do this in us, we pray, in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer and our mediator. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Now I encourage you to receive the benediction and blessing. This is actually from Paul's letter to the Galatians. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave. You are God's child. And as God's child, he has made you his heir. You are blessed. Go forth this week and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.